The title of the message is Proper Worship. Proper Worship. I want to talk about worship real quick. What is worship? Have you ever stopped to define worship? Like some people think worship is just when we get together and we sing. And we talk about that's worship. Even churches divide and split over style of music. Or they'll have multiple uh, different uh, services. One that would be a traditional service and one that would be a contemporary service based upon what they call the worship style. Some of you are familiar with that. But I'm going to ask you this morning, what is worship? What does that mean? What does it mean to worship God? What is worship? Is your definition merely singing to the Lord? Because this morning as we get back into this text, what's going to unfold is this topic of worship. And that's why we're looking at proper worship. Next question is, where does worship take place? Where does it take place? Does it only take place in a church on Sunday? Is that the only place for worship? Is we wait for Sunday to gather so that we together can worship God? How about this? Who is the object of worship? Who is the object of worship? Because understanding the object of worship is of the utmost importance. Albert Moeller said this. Albert Moeller said, Nothing is more important than our understanding of worship for our concept of worship is inescapably tied to our understanding of God and His sovereign authority to reveal the worship that He desires, deserves, and demands. We need to know who the object of worship is. And we got to make sure we truly understand who that is. This morning, as we get back into our text in John chapter 4, this word worship appears ten times. John in his gospel has included the words worship or worshiper 13 times in this gospel of John. Ten of those times, just in this short passage, we'll be looking at this morning. Again, if you're a note taker, I'll give you the three points ahead of time that we'll be taking notes on, taking a look at. The first point will be worship begins with repentance. Point number one, worship begins with repentance. Point number two, worship takes place all the time. Worship takes place all the time. And our third point this morning is worship is focused on Jesus Christ. Worship is focused on Jesus Christ. Before we get into our text this morning, let's go ahead and pray together. Father, we come before you with such a great topic this morning. The topic of worship. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us to understand this wonderful topic. That we would understand, God, who is the object of worship. We'd understand what is worship and when does it take place? Where does it take place? Father, we pray that you would illuminate your words to us and that you, through the power of your Spirit, would teach us this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Church, this morning we're going to pick up in John's Gospel. We'll recap a little bit after we read. But let's go ahead and pick up in John chapter 4. So if you have your Bible this morning, please turn to John chapter 4. If you have a bulletin, the text will be printed inside the bulletin. And if you could rise to your feet for the honoring of the public reading of God's Word this morning. 
John chapter 4. This morning we'll be covering verses 16 through 26. Starting in verse 16 we read, Jesus said to her, again speaking of the Samaritan woman, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Verse 24. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So reads God's inerrant, infallible, and holy word. Please be seated, church. Some of you are like, whoa, it's been too long since we've been in the study. What's going on in this text? If you recall with me, back in the beginning of chapter 4, Jesus is on his way back to Galilee. And the scriptures say that he had to go through Samaria. And we know that he did not have to go geographically. But the Spirit gave unction that he had to go there. He had a divine appointment. And Jesus gets into Samaria and he sits at a well. And he's there at noonday. And up comes at noonday a woman. And she is a woman that has chosen to come at noon instead of in the evening when it was cooler or in the morning because she is avoiding the scrutiny of other people. As we saw from our text this morning, she has a history. She has a past. She's a promiscuous woman. And so she avoids all that and comes at noonday, but she's really there because she has a divine meeting with Jesus. And Jesus asked this woman, woman, give me a drink. And she is shocked by the question coming from Jesus and says, how you, being a Jew, would you ask me, being a Samaritan, for a drink? Being that they had no dealings with one another. Jews hated the Samaritans. They were half-breeds. Their worship of the true God had been polluted by pagan gods. So Jews had no dealings with them. And yet Jesus says to her, if you had known the gift of God, and he who asked you for this drink, he would have given you living water. Jesus turns it around on this woman and says, woman, what you need is living water. You need the water that I can give you that if you drink of me, you will never thirst again. And she questions him and says, wait, are you greater than our forefather Abraham? Not Abraham, it was Jacob. That made this well? And she says, he says, again, if you drink of me, you will never thirst again. And she says, give me this water so that I may never thirst again. That's where our text begins today. 
The response now she has said, give me this water so that I may not thirst again. And what does Jesus do? Look at the first thing he says in verse 16. I want you to think about this. She just says, then give me this water. And how does he respond? He responds by calling her out to repentance. Our point number one today is worship begins with repentance. Look with me again at verses 16 through 19. Starting in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. Because what you have said is true. And the woman said to her, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. What has Jesus just done? Pointed out sin in her life. She wants to come to him. She wants to give me this water. And he says, okay, but let's look at your life first. You see, church, in, under, in order for us to understand the good news, we must first understand the bad news. That we are all sinners. That we all have fallen short of the glory of God. And here this woman has a divine interaction with Jesus, the Savior. And the first thing that he tells her when she says, give me this water is, you need to look at your sin. You need to look. You've been married five times. And you're now living with another man who is not your husband. You are currently in sin. You see, Jesus did not come to call the righteous. We know in Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, Jesus says this. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He says, I have come to call the righteous. I have not called to come to the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I'm looking around. I'm thinking, that's a group of us. We could all sit here and think that we're holier than thou. But the reality is, if we look in the light of Christ and we look in the true light, we're all sinners in need of God's grace and his mercy. That in order to worship God, we need to come to him with clean hands. But the only way we can do that is to confess our sin and to repent from sin. I want you to think about somebody in the history of all the scriptures, a man who was known as a man who had a heart after God's own heart. You guys know who that is? David. David used by God in mighty ways. But David was a sinner just like you and I. And David fell into his sin again. He would go off with Bathsheba. And that would just be all downhill from there. One thing after another. Until it came time for worship that David is called out in sin and he cries out to God. And he cries out to God in repentance. Some of you are very familiar with Psalm 51. Psalm 51 starting in verse 1. We'll read verses 1 and 2 and then verse 17. Psalm 51, David cries out, Have mercy on me, O God, according to to your steadfast love according to your abundant mercy blot out my transgressions stop there church what did david know about god he knew he was abundant in love he knew he was abundant in mercy he knew he was a god of love and grace he knew he was a god full of mercy that he could turn to him at any time church do you know that that's the same god that we serve 
Have your hands ever become stained? Has your heart ever become tainted? This is the same God. The same God who's abundant in mercy, who has steadfast love, who's full of grace. David cries out to him and says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Church, this is the same God. This is how worship begins. Worship begins by a response to the Spirit that exposes sin in us to cry out to God. God, cleanse me. David goes on later in that psalm in verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You know, many times as believers, when we fall into sin, we try to do good works to make up for it. Well, maybe I'll just give some more money to the church. Or maybe I'll go serve some more. And somehow I'll make up. I'll go on a mission trip around the world and I'll make up for my sin. It doesn't work that way. We have a God who's abundant love, who abounds in grace and mercy, and that we turn to Him and say, God, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from my sin. For if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you think David felt dirty? Do you think David felt ashamed? Absolutely. When he confesses to God, he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. Let me ask you this. Did he sin against Bathsheba? Yeah. Against her husband Uriah? Against his troops? Against his people? It goes on and on. But our sin is always first and foremost against God. It is a rebellion against God. And David cries out, Oh God, have mercy upon me. This was a moment of worship. This is where worship began again in David's life. The one who would leave so many in Psalms in singing unto the Lord, worship began again with a cry out to God, Forgive me, O God. Cleanse me, O God. David worshipped God in repentance. Church, he said that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. You say, well, that's not fun. I don't like to have a broken spirit. I want to be happy all the time. Do you know how David's speaking, when he's speaking of broken spirit, where does that come from? Where is he talking about a broken and contrite heart? It's by looking at the sin that we've sinned against God. Oh God, I've sinned against you. That looking at that sin would break us down. It would cause a broken spirit within us, a desperate spirit for God. He said, God, it's you and you alone that I've sinned against. God, it's you and you alone that I need. Church, worship begins with repentance. I read a quote from A.W. Tozer. He said, Christians don't tell lies. They just sing them in church. Ooh. Hold on to that one for a second. I had to sit and look at that one. I didn't even put it in my notes. I said, I'm probably not going to say that, but it just came back to me, so we're going to go with it. Christians don't tell lies. They just sing them in church. Why? My daughter, which, by the way, was really weird when she prayed for Pastor Robert. I was like, who's that? Um, she said, you know, worship, let's stop and think about these words. And that's appropriate for someone who's leading us in music to say, let's stop and slow down. 
because we can go, I know that song, I've heard it on the radio, or I've heard it here, or I sing it there, but stop and meditate. What am I saying? And as I come to worship God, am I coming with a pure heart and clean hands before Him? Or do I need to stop and say, Lord, search me and know me. Reveal any wicked way in me. And as His Spirit's so good at illuminating sin, Father, forgive me for this. God, thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that I could be forgiven of all things. And then we can worship God. And worship's not just in song, but as we'll study this morning, it's in every area of our life. Point number two, that leads us right on. In point number two this morning, worship takes place all the time. I've heard people say, I can't wait for Sunday when we come and worship. So well, what are you doing the rest of the week? Now, we worship corporately together on Sunday. But individually, our lives should be filled with worship. In our text this morning, this idea of worship comes straight to the forefront. This woman, the Samaritan woman, is going to call Jesus out about worship and where worship should be taking place. If you look back to your Bibles with me, look down at your Bibles, starting at verse 24, or excuse me, starting at verse 20 through 24. John chapter 4, starting at verse 20. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. This is the Samaritan woman speaking. This is Mount Gerizim. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father, for you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Verse 24, God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Verse 20 through 24, what was the big part of that? Was it about where we're going to worship or about how we're going to worship? It's not about where. Jesus says, no, it doesn't matter. Whether it's this mountain or in Jerusalem, it matters how. Well, where does the question come from when, when we're talking about where? Well, what was the Old Testament tradition? People used to take pilgrimages to Jerusalem so they can go into the temple and they could worship God at the temple. But then Christ came, lived for us, died for us, rose again for us, and then sent his spirit to us. And you know what the scripture says now about the temple? Where's the temple at? Anybody know? Yeah, our fingers go right back to us. We know from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, 1 Corinthians 3, 16, Paul says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Stop there. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ this morning? If you say yes to that, that's an affirmative, then guess what? You are the temple of God. So where's the temple of God now? Right here. As you leave and go somewhere else, where's the temple? Wherever you're at. Can you hide? No. The Spirit is within you. Wherever you go, worship can take place. Where can we go to hide from the Lord? Church, the answer is nowhere. He goes with us. But it's not just the location. Jesus makes a point. It's how you would worship. How you would worship. Let's talk about how spirit and truth. 
spirit and truth. John MacArthur said this. John MacArthur said the supreme act of worship is not giving money. It's not attending church. It's not singing hymns, but it's giving oneself. Supreme act of worship, giving oneself. For some of you, that will bring back a verse. Some of you are very familiar with Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul writes, I appeal, I urge, I beg you to listen. By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Wait, stop, unpack that. What is your spiritual worship? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That means day unto day unto day, presenting yourself unto the Lord. Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. But not only presenting myself, but how do I present myself according to Romans 12? Holy and acceptable. Church, don't raise your hand, don't shout out an answer, but when was the last time you asked God to reveal your sin? I'm going to say for most of us, that's not a daily practice. We don't walk, wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Lord, expose my sin. Maybe some of you do, but I'm guessing most of us don't. However, that is a holy practice. Because all of us as believers, we can have blind spots. You guys know what blind spots are? You all drivers? You know back there somewhere where you can't see over there? There's a car over there. And you need the backseat driver or the other person to go, well, there's a car over there, don't, don't get over. We need help to see some of that sin in our life. Some of that compromise that we've allowed into our life that we said, well, this is kind of okay. And then we allow a little more compromise in our life. So, well, this is kind of okay. And a little more compromise in our life until we're so far away. We're like, how did I get here? How did I get over here? Sin is a slow decline, but it keeps going down. It's a downward spiral. But here, holy and acceptable. Father, would you expose anything in me that is not pleasing to you? How about going to somebody you trust, somebody that knows you well, and asking them, do you see anything in me that you think would not be pleasing to the Lord? And then put on your seatbelt and your crash dummy helmet and get ready, because they're going to let you know what they see. Because church, you have to understand, we're all sinners. We all continue to sin. Our aim is never to sin. That is not our goal, not our purpose. We've been freed from sin. But because we have this flesh on us, we continue to fall into sin. So we come around and say, hey, could you see anything in me that's not pleasing to God? Lord, would you expose any sin in me that I might present myself holy and acceptable to you? Because as we read in our text this morning, Jesus is going to talk about how. How do we worship? And he says, if you look back down to your Bibles again in verse 23 and 24, how do we worship? He says, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers, stop there. If Jesus says true worship, what does that mean there is? False worship, right? There's worship that's not pleasing to him. There's worship that truly isn't unto him. As a matter of fact, if we slow down, I keep my finger right there on that word so I come back to it. Think about how much even music that we sing that we call worship music is not about God, but about us. That we would exalt ourselves in the music instead of God. He says, the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. 
true worshipers who will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Now I'm guessing for many of us this morning, that, those are familiar words. We might even repeat those before. that We're supposed to worship God in spirit and in truth. My question, however, is what does that mean? What does it mean to worship God in spirit and truth? Well, I'll go back to point number one. First, worship starts with repentance. Worship starts with clean hands, a pure heart. God, I confess my sin unto you. God, thank you for your forgiveness. God, help me to turn from these things. But it says in spirit. Is that a capital S in your Bible or a lowercase s? should be a lowercase s. It is not referring to the Holy Spirit. It's referring to the inward man. That worship should come from the inside out. That it's not just some outward act that we put on. I've heard people say, you know what? When rejoicing unto the Lord, just fake it until it becomes natural. I've heard that come from pastor's mouths before. That they tell people, just fake it, just sing, and eventually it'll come to you. That's working from the outside in. Transformation that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ is from the inside out. That if there is no worship coming from the Spirit, perhaps that's because, point number one, we haven't repented of sin, or possibly, two, that we don't have the Spirit. Paul would say, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Now, before we go too far, some of you say, well, I don't like to sing. I'm not talking about just singing. I'm talking about living your life before God at all times, holy and acceptable. That God, here I am, I'm yours. God, be well pleased in my life, in all that I do. Spirit and truth, that from the inside out I would worship. But what is truth? Who was Jesus speaking to? A Samaritan woman. And her truth, at best, was very blurred. She had taken the truth of what she knew from the Jews about God and mixed it with other pagan gods. And it's become idolatrous. And today in our culture, many people have an idolatrous view of who Jesus is. They think he's about the better me. That if I add a little Jesus to my life, then I'll be better. And my life will be better. And I'll get more stuff. There's a gospel going out today. It's called the prosperity gospel. If you ever turn on the TV. And it says, health, wealth, and prosperity. That's what Jesus is all about. To make you happy. No, Jesus to make you holy. Do you hear that, church? About our holiness. That we are sinners. That we need a Savior. And He came to live on our behalf, die on our behalf, and rise from the dead on our behalf so that we could be holy. That's truth. To worship Him in spirit and truth. Jesus is telling the Samaritan woman, you have an idolatrous view of who God is. And you need the truth. You need to know who God is. Church, where do you get your view of who God is? Is it from the culture? Is it from your friends? Literally, we were at lunch yesterday, and we sat down, and my wife goes, I have never seen one of those in real life. And I was like, I have no idea what she's talking about. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she repeated, I have never seen that in real life. I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Hey, what are you talking about? She goes, look at the shirt. And there was somebody online, and it said, God is dope. For those of you who don't know that word, it's a slang word, it means cool. It's like the cool, hip term. God is dope. 
So I turned to my wife and said, is that a high view of God or a low view of God? Absolutely a low view of God. There is no worship in spirit and in truth. person doesn't know who God is. God is holy and righteous. God is an amazing God. God is not dope. God is not cool. But it's our view of God. Here Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman and says, God is seeking those who would worship him in spirit, meaning being transformed from the inside out, desiring to please him, but also knowing who he is. And knowing who we are in light of who he is. Church, unless we could identify as sinners, we can never appreciate a Savior. If we always glance down the row and think, well, I'm not as bad as that person down there, we'll never exalt our Lord. Because we think we're okay. But until we realize my hands are dirty, my heart is impure, and I need the blood of Christ to cleanse it, nothing else will cleanse me. Nothing else will bring forgiveness except Jesus Christ alone. And then all of a sudden I'm humbled. I'm humbled. Worship takes place all the time. Worship, I, I referred to it earlier, many of us don't get up in the morning and say, God, expose any sin. But we should get up in the morning and say, God, this is the day you have made. Lord, help me to walk in the things that you desire of me today. Church, I can't tell you even personally how many times I get up and there are so many things on the list of what things I need to do and how quickly those are the things that rush to my mind. But we need to be deliberate, slowing down. God, help me to worship you today and be busy about what you desire for me to do. Point number three this morning, our last and final point. Worship is focused on Jesus Christ. Jesus having this dialogue with the Samaritan woman back and forth about this idea of worship. We get to verse 25. And the woman says to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. They're just talking about worship. Where will worship? How will worship? Now the object of worship, the object of worship, Jesus Christ. That we worship the Father through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our object of worship. Church, when we worship Jesus Christ, the Father is glorified. When we worship Jesus Christ, the Father is glorified. This woman is talking to the Messiah, the one who she says, will come into the world. Jesus' mission is to come to seek and to save that which is lost. And guess what is standing before him? Someone who is lost. And Jesus speaks the truth to her that he is the object of worship, that Jesus is Lord over all. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, speaking of Jesus, says, For by him, speaking of Jesus, for by him all things were created in heaven, and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. For who? Christ. For Christ. We read also in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, because of the therefore it starts with, God has highly exalted him being Jesus, and bestowed on him, being Jesus, 
the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ, who has created all things, all things were for Him and through Him and to Him. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. We have just a glimpse of this. But if we get a little crack into heaven, as John got to see into heaven, he got to see what worship of Jesus looks like. As he looked into heaven and got a glimpse in Revelation chapter 4, the latter part of verse 8 and verse 11, we see the worship of Jesus taking place. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Church, stop right there before we read the next verse. Is that God is dope? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Jesus is Lord of all. And in heaven right now, around the clock, 24-7, even though it's a timeless place, in our time, 24-7, he's being worshipped. And what's being spoken of is that he is holy. What's being spoken of is that he's worthy. And our worship should be the same. Holy, holy, holy are you, O God. Worthy are you, Lord. When was the last time we slowed down and just said those things? was the last time we worshipped him in spirit and in truth? That around the clock, we would say, worthy are you. Worthy are you. Let me ask you a quick question. Is life easy? I see some people shaking their head vigorously like, no, life is not easy. Is there suffering in life? Disappointments in life? This last week I've heard some tragic, tragic news over and over again. I was with Pastor Manny the other night, and we were discussing something, and it had me in tears just hearing about the tragedies that come in life, the sadness that comes upon us. Let me ask you, as we go through those things, does God's character change? No. He's immutable. He's unchangeable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's a God who loves He's a God who is gracious. He's a God who is merciful. He's a God who is just. But he's also, listen church, a God who's compassionate. He's a compassionate God. And our Savior Jesus Christ is one who knows and understands our pains and our weaknesses. He's one that we can go to and cry out and ask for help. That Lord, as I suffer, as I hurt, God, I just want to worship you as holy. God, I want to worship you as the one who is worthy. But God, I hurt. God, I ask for your comfort. Church, when we do that, guess who the focus of our attention is? It's Jesus. I've had people come to me and say they feel ashamed to cry out to God in such a manner. Are you kidding me? We have a great high priest who understands all that we go through. Christ, who is attempted in every way, yet without sin, will understand and does understand every time that we're weak. Read the Psalms, church. 
How many times do you see where I say, where are you, God? Where have you gone for me? Have you ever felt that way? Has tragedy hit your life before? Where you think, well, what's happened? What's going on? And we're so quick to reflect like Job's friends say, well, it must just be sin in my life. Well, it could just be life. It could just be tragedy that comes upon us. But God is the same, and Christ is there waiting for us to come to him and say, God, help me. I want to worship you as holy. I want to worship you as worthy that you receive all glory and honor. But comfort my broken heart. He is the object of our worship. We don't have to veil all the hurt and disappointment and shame. We can come to him bare and exposed. He knows anyway. He sees the truth. But God, I'm hurting. God, I'm suffering. God, help me to worship you. Church, that's all the time. What about when life is, is, is at the mountain peak and, and things are going great? God, thank you. God, you are gracious and merciful and kind. You bestow your blessings upon us. We so judge God's graciousness by whether we're at a, a peak up high or in a valley that somehow God has changed. He's the same. And he's to be worshipped all the time. That God, if you give, you take away, but blessed be your name. Naked I come and naked I go, but blessed be the name of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. This text, in this message of living water, Jesus would first beckon the Samaritan woman to come and drink. That was the first call. To come and taste of the living water so you would not thirst again. Here's a woman who's trying to fill her life with everything else. So cliche to say, but I'll say it anyway. Looking for love in all the wrong places. She was. Maybe this man will fulfill every need. Maybe this man. Well, maybe this man. Well, maybe that man. Well, maybe this man. And now on to the sixth man. And Jesus sits there and stares at her and says, Come to me. Come to me. Drink of me. You will not thirst again. If you are here this morning and you are thirsting for the things of this world, you are not finding any satisfaction in the things of this world, Christ would be the one who would say, Come to me. And drink of me. Come to me. Our first response is to come to Christ. And when we do, we come to Him in repentance. Look, we could be ashamed of the way we acted. Man, I was such a fool. I was so stupid to do what I did. And I feel so guilty of the things I've done that I've done in the sight of God. Church, do you understand that He waits there with His arms open wide? Just come to me. Come home to me. Come back. That if you think of the story of the prodigal son who went away and blew it, when he comes back, the father comes rushing towards him, hugs him and kisses him. That's our Savior. That's our Savior. The enemy would want to keep us in shame and guilt and I can't go back to him. I've done wrong. And, and, and I've even cursed against him. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Repentance is the first step of worship. And then worship Him from the inside out. Not that you have to do good works to earn His favor. He's died for you. He paid the ultimate price for you. His love is abundant for you. But we come back to Him and say, Lord, I want to worship You. And where You go, He goes. There's not a place You'll get away. 
at any time you can cry out, Lord, help. Lord, help me to worship you in the midst of this. Lord, help me to glorify you in all of this. Because we are now the temple. Let's pray, church. God, we can study this over and over again. And yet every time we look at it, we're amazed. Father, we are aware of our own faults. Father, we are aware of our own sin. We're aware of the times that we have rebelled against you and have known better. We're aware of the times that we have questioned you. And yet you've remained gracious and merciful towards us. You've been patient with us. Father, I pray this morning that we would turn to you, wholehearted devotion to you today, to worship you in spirit and truth. That, Father, for anyone in this room that says, I don't know what it means to worship him in spirit. That, Father, perhaps today is the day they turn to you in faith in trust, in repentance. And there would be a transformation within them from the inside out that they would be born again. That true worship can now take place. Father, for anyone in this place this morning that is hurting, is grieving, Father, may today be a day of worship. May today be a day of turning back to you, of honoring you as God, of calling out to you as the Holy One, the Worthy One, and bringing you worship. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would comfort them. You being the God of all comfort would comfort them in their affliction. God, with one voice, might we worship you. God, may it not be just about a song, but about our lives as we live before you to bring you glory in every part of our lives. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.